It's Daily Thunder, thundering out the truth of Jesus Christ live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more about our discipleship programs or to support this podcast, visit ellerslie.com. Now, here's Eric Looney. This is graduation day for the advanced students, uh, which is uh, almost every single one bar one is actually continuing on into our practical program. So, I mean, it's it's still a graduation. I mean, technically it still is, but uh, it is sort of a funny thing. It's more of a send off (laughs) than almost anything else. All right, guys, uh, we're in the midst of a a really neat series as, as far as my opinion. I, I tend to be fairly biased on these types of things, but it's the marvel of manliness. And what I just, another way of saying that is just the marvel of Jesus Christ, because he came and he demonstrated the perfect Adam. He demonstrated how a man ought to live and how a man ought to pursue his bride, how a man ought to lay down his life uh, for, the, for his bride, for the weak. Uh, everything about his life, of course, as we're all duly convinced, is marvelous, is magnificent, is worthy of our worship, our honor, our praise for all eternity. And so just the the meditation on these different points or attributes of his person are just tremendous. At the same time, it's an amazing thought to think that this grand picture of masculinity is exactly what he desires to have move inside of us. And as women, you appropriate it slightly different, but it's more of a role thing than anything else. It is the man, Jesus, that lives and dwells inside of us. He has his life within us, and how he expresses it through us is still Jesus comes out of us. So that man uh, is desirous to express himself in and through us, whether we be man or woman. So this one's called the rescue shelter, which has a lot of uh, unique dimension and nuance uh, in my life personally. Uh, I think, you know, last when I fell in love, I don't think this, I was going to say I think about something else, but then I it injected something. Less than I fell in love around the topic of the poor and the least. And so that's actually what we both felt deeply convicted about. I just remember some of our conversations. This is before we knew we were going to be married, but I remember we just had this like, bond on that point. It's like, yeah, and the very thing they remembered to do was to care for the poor. And we, we just saw it. And so I remember writing a song back then called Matthew uh, 2540. And it was about what you do unto the least of these, you do it unto him. And I mean, we had the clear vision. And then we get married, we get caught up into ministry. And ministry has a fascinating way of distracting you. While you're doing very, very important things, you can forget the very thing that we intended to do, which is ironically what, it, uh, what Paul was saying. The very thing we intended to do was to care for the poor, and yet uh, we found ourselves caring for the uh, communities that could supply the right environment, have the right sound system, uh, be able to recruit all the youth groups of their community. It was a different form of care, And I remember just sort of feeling caught uh, in that, like, God, how do you revive such a a burden? And he did uh, in a profound way uh, when Leslie had a miscarriage, uh, when Hudson was uh, just one and three quarters, not even yet two, Leslie had a miscarriage. And it was amazing how God leveraged that loss in our life into a sensitivity and a care for the weak and the vulnerable. Because at first, I found myself responding to that, sort of like trying to push it down, like, hey, you know what? God's good. God's faithful. Let's just keep moving forward. All good stuff, right? God is good. God is faithful. However, God still grieves. And life is very, very valuable to him. So where I was trying to just sort of stiff up or lip my way through it and say, hey, God stalled my soul and said, right here, right there, you've lost something, Eric. Because I'm weeping but I'm not weeping through you. And Eric, there's something I want to express through your life, but it's sort of blocked. And it's my heart. It's my burden. It's the weight that I feel, Eric, for those that are lonely, those that are lost, those that are dying, those that are oppressed, those that are enslaved, those that are imprisoned, those that are hungry, those that are naked, those that are orphaned, those that are widowed. And this began a process in our life of sensitizing our heart. I remember feeling like, do I? Do I even have a heart? 
I mean, why do I not care? Why? And this is my own child, and I'm stiff upper lipping it through it. It's like, God, what's wrong with me? What's happened to me? What did I lose? And sometimes it's just very significant to walk through those times to recognize something has not yet, it's not that you don't have grace, it's that you are not applying the grace or receiving the grace into that sector of your life. And so as a result, I recognize there had been a blockage, sort of like a little uh, beaver dam uh, in my life of circumstances, of cares of this life, of different emphases that the world says, this matters, it's like a stick. This matters too, I'm like, oh, it does matter, <laughs> stick. And it blocks up the flow of grace into this very, very significant dimension of our life, which is that we are carriers of God's burden. And when you recognize that, you cannot sit idle when that which burdens God begins to burden you. And so a man is burdened with God's burden in, in a nutshell. And so he becomes a rescue shelter. And this, this is going to flow out of various... Uh, uh, scriptures, but he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Now, Psalm 91, a beautiful psalm. It's hard not to say my favorite, even though it's, you always feel bad when you say your favorite of anything in the Bible, because then it's like, does that mean the rest of it doesn't matter? No, it's just that this is so, not just poetic, but marvelous and epic. And this is a statement, you know, many people would say, well, this is talking about the Christ, the Messiah. Yes, and I'm in him. And so how do I dwell in the secret place of the Most High? Well, in Christ, by faith. So when I enter in by faith into the man, I actually abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And I am enter into what we could call a rescue shelter. He is a hiding place from the storm. And so there is a coming judgment, but there's an ark that has been made. The rains are coming. It's already been forecasted. And yet the door is open. The door, his name is Jesus. The ark, his name is Jesus. Everything about this is Jesus, the man. And the man, historically, all throughout, if you look at the global picture of all of Scripture, what you're going to see is the man is a rescue shelter. And those that by faith, enter into that rescue shelter, will in fact be spared the coming judgment. And that's, of course, the big picture. But the small picture is in every situation, God desires us to learn how to find refuge in him in all of life's circumstances. And then he turns this idea on us and reveals the most extraordinary thing, and that is that we are to become shelters for people. And that is actually what a Christian functions as. If there is that uh, hail that's coming down from the heavens and we have a little child there, what do we do? We're going to shelter them with our own body. That's just how it works. The bullet's flying. What are we going to do? We're going to step in front and take the hit so that someone else is spared. And this is the idea or the mindset of God Almighty. So I love this scripture in Isaiah 32. A man will be as a hiding place from the wind. Isn't that an amazing statement? First of all, we know who the man is. That man is Jesus. But just imagine if you were to apply that and recognize that, first of all, he, he is the answer to this. He will be a hiding place from the wind, a co cover from the tempest, as rivers of water in a dry place, as the shadow of a great rock in a weary land. That's Jesus. But this is what a man is. This is what a man is built for. So when we talk about the marvel of manliness, well... A Christian man, a man who is in Christ Jesus, will be as a hiding place from the wind. So my wife should be able to find shelter from a gusting wind in me. In a strange way, I supply a small lowercase version of this in my marriage. And instead of having some gust of wind hit her, I should stand in front and let it hit me. Which is why men are the ones that go off to war. They're the ones that are hit with the first wave of attack. And they're the ones that greet the enemy at the door and put their wife behind them, put their children behind them, because they are to be the hiding place from the wind or a cover from the tempest. Built for the vulnerable. So one of the ways that I used to describe it 
is remember how I always put the bad stuff on the left side, and then I put the good stuff on the right side here. So if you're listening to this via podcast, there's the left side of a stage and the right side of the stage. The left side is always the first condition. Okay, so this is where we are outside of Christ. We are in Adam. We are functioning in an old man's state under the power of sin in the flesh. And then when we believe in Jesus, we transfer from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the dear son. And we actually are now in Christ instead of in Adam. We're in a new man condition and we function after the power of the spirit instead of the power of the flesh. When we transfer in, we begin to recognize what we were designed for. We were designed not to think about ourselves. I know, shocker. See, when we're in the old man condition, we think about ourselves. That's what we do. That's our job description. What are we built for? Self. That's the way we would even think about it. What do I want in life? And I mean, I remember just envisioning how, what kind of job I could have growing up. And I was like, okay, maybe, you know, like a, uh, what were those guys that hang around at a swimming pool all day and swing their whistle? What was it? Lifeguard, yeah, a lifeguard sounded like a great job because I could, I could get a tan all day long, I could flex, and maybe the girls would see me, and I could swing my whistle around and look cool, right? It's like, what a great way to earn money. You see, what, everything about what I just described is an old man thought pattern. It's like, what would be good for me? What would make me look good? What would satisfy me? When you come to Christ, you give up that, and you begin to recognize that you are built for something so much greater than you. And it's not just for the glory of God, but part and parcel of the glory of God is that you begin to express what he would express. You would do what he would do. You have a body, and in this body, you will begin to function in the way that he intended you to function. What are you built for? You're built for the vulnerable. That's what he's built for. God has a special place in his heart for the vulnerable. So just imagine if he moves inside of you, what he's going to do. He's going to express that very same love, that very same burden in and through you. So if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? You see, this is contrary to the kingdom of heaven. You see, you are built for the vulnerable, which means you are built to expend. And if you have resource, you actually will consider their life as more important than your own, which means their stomach is more valuable than your stomach. Their warmth is more valuable than your warmth. I know we're violating, we're transgressing certain uh, basic tenets of the self-life. And yet, this idea of seeking another's wealth as Paul will describe, seeking another's wealth. We seek our own wealth, don't we? Not in the kingdom of heaven. You see, in the kingdom of heaven, we seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and then all these things are added. In other words, we turn outward first. The first turn in the new man is actually outward, not inward. It's not what do I want, but what does he want? God, what are you about in this earth? And when we do that, he says, I want you to focus on them. But God, what about my needs? Let me tend to your needs. I'll take very good care of you. So this is a kingdom pattern that I'm not going to try and sell you as something that is obvious and that we just walk in easily because it is contrary to the pattern of this earth. It's contrary to the pattern of our first life, which has a sense of pull like habit upon our life. And the only way to cultivate this new life is to exercise it. In other words, a lot of us are like, well, I believe in Jesus. How come I don't behave as Jesus? Well, there's multiple answers I could give to that, but one of the most basic ones is you have grace, now you need to exercise it. And you have the power of the Holy Spirit, you need to agree with his truth. And so when he says to do this, it might go opposite of the way you've always done it, but you begin to do it. And as you begin to exercise that grace and lean on God and his Holy Spirit, you will find that it becomes natural almost, even though it's still supernatural, to begin to do things that you would have never done before. Stand in the gap. It's a historic statement in the life of the Jews and the life of the Christian. It is this idea of a wall uh, around a city, and if there's a breach or a break in the wall, there's a gap. There's a gap in the wall. It's called a breach. And there is the strong men are required in a time of war, if the enemy is beginning to pour in, to fill the gap 
to literally stand in that narrow channel to protect the city. And so, I mean, there's some of the greatest battles in all of history uh, represent a similar thing like Thermopylae, uh, where you have the, uh, the Spartans in, from Greece defending off the, uh, uh, the what was it, the, uh, I can't even remember, the Xerxes one. I can't remember what. The, and so you have these incredible uh, pictures of the gap fillers, right? And in, in Christian history, or I'm sorry, even in biblical history, this is a massive thing. So the term in the Hebrew is Ahmad Peretz. And Ahmad means to stand immovable, to rise implacable, to position oneself to endure the harshest winds, to march forward and persist in the darkest hour, to keep swinging the sword and remain steadfast, though all seems lost, to stand unflinching when the arrows fly, to plant your feet in the soil of danger and set your jaw for battle. So right there is how we are called to stand. If you were to imagine this, to stand for others. It's not just to stand. You know, it's like, hey, you will not push me around. This is literally a quality of the heavenly realms, of the nature of God, that is intended to be cultivated in us, that we would be able to stand. Now, there's a reason why I gave you the full term, Ahmad Peretz, because this is, you're standing for something. You're standing in a specific spot. So to stand immovable, to rise implacable, to position oneself to endure the harshest winds. Do you need me to give more time to write that down? I see people scrawling. Sorry, I didn't give you notes for that. That's a lot of notes there on that page. So look at Esther. We talked about Esther on Wednesday. And it was so when the king saw Esther, the queen, Ahmad in the court. So what she is literally doing is standing She's, she's risking her life, but she is standing in the presence of the king, knowing that it's against the law, but doing it on behalf of her people. That she obtained favor in, the, in his sight, and the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand, so Esther drew near and touched the top of the scepter. Peretz is the breach of vulnerability. So where are we standing implacable and immovable and strong? Where is it? We're standing in the breach or the breach of vulnerability, a gap of exposure, a chink in the armor, the broken wall through which hell's minions fly. So hell is smart. The powers of darkness, they're not dumb. They're not going to beat their heads against a solid wall when there's a gap over here in the wall. They're constantly searching our walls and testing our walls. So if you've ever wondered if the devil notices you, yes, he does, especially if you are a believer. You are on a high alert status, especially if you're a serious believer and you're pursuing the kingdom of heaven. The devil wants to compromise you. He is always measuring your wall. He wants to see if you're made of the stuff and he wants to figure out where your weaknesses are and he's going to play upon your weaknesses because that's what he does. So Ahmad Peretz, just think about what we have. We have Jesus, who is our wall. He is our armor. So we are to put on the armor of God. This is Jesus. We're supposed to find our refuge in him. He is our hiding place in the storm. Or in a time of battle, guess what? He's our gap filler. He's our Ahmad Peretz. He's the one who stands implacable and immovable on our behalf. So the moment I say, hey, you need to stand against the enemy and you better have your wall shored up is the moment you begin to panic because you're like, oh, no which is still a truth. It's still a truth that you must repair the wall, just like Nehemiah is going to go back and see it built. However, you need to recognize that in this process of repair and restoration of your life, you have a wall that is greater than any wall you could build. You see, God clothes us in himself, and underneath that clothing is a very real work of sanctification, but it is imperfect. Underneath that clothing, we are young and immature, and in need of a savior, which is why we find our salvation in Jesus. And that never changes. So even though we are repairing different aspects of our life, he is still our protector, and we lean on him in every battle and every challenge. So the famous statement in the Old Testament, Ahmad Peretz, to prove yourself a man in the harrowing gap, to stand immovable and implacable in the midst of the hazardous breach, to plant your feet in the way of peril in order to stop the onrush of hell's minions. So we are being made strong to do something. 
So remember how I said the left is always the, uh, the bad stuff, you know, the powers of darkness, the kingdom of darkness. So imagine in your first state, in your first man living, your old man living when you were in Adam and not in Christ, if you could imagine it like a concentration camp, okay, and you're in chains. And uh, I mean, this is hard stuff uh, to live over here. And most of us, it takes a while, and the Spirit of God finally awakens us, and we recognize we're living in chains. We're in bondage. We might want, we might esteem living righteously, but we can't. We're unable. However, when we believe in Jesus, we are set free from those chains, and we enter into a realm of freedom, but that realm of freedom is very different than what most people understand freedom to be. It's, we're going to call this boot camp. So this is concentration camp. We're set free not to just live our own way, but we're set free into boot camp where we are going to be trained, where we're going to be built strong. We're going to learn how to shore up these defenses, how to live in the walled city of Christ so that we can put that on wheels and do something with it. You know what God wants to do with us? He wants us to bring us back into the concentration camp, not so that we are under bondage, but so that we can set people free that are. He sets us free, makes us strong. Why? So that we can go and help the vulnerable. This is actually the pattern of the gospel. In other words, we're no longer the vulnerable in the sense that we don't have a solution or a savior. No, we actually are the strong. Though we feel very weak, he is our strength. And he calls us to pour out that strength for those that are weak, those that are lonely, those that are dying, those that are hungry, those that are thirsty, those that are imprisoned, those that are lost, those that are orphaned, those that are widow. In other words, this is the pattern of the kingdom. So what are you being made strong for? Have you ever wondered that? It's like, why does God keep us here? Why doesn't he just take us up to heaven? Because he is looking for hands and feet. He is looking for those that will carry his life and do the work that he desires to do. And that's you and me. So we are being made strong to do what? To stand in gaps. So when you see weak around you, that's one of the reasons why we will stand up and say, here's my strength, take it. And in, in so many different situations, I mean, we, could, we could give what, a million scenarios for how this works. That's the challenge. It's not just like, oh, well, look for a walled city, and if you see an enemy rushing against a walled city, you stand in the middle of it. Well, that, uh, that's a mental picture to give a metaphor for the Old Testament idea, but all day long every day, there are things that we can do, words of encouragement that we can give. You see someone downcast, you have an arm that you can put around them. You have a $10 bill you can slip out and give to them. There's so many little things that you can do of giving up your time, your energy, and your strength to this lost and dying world around you. Not to mention the fact that you have the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so as a result, you are being fully armed to do something. How many Christians, though, are being armed to do something and then spend their life on themselves? They have the truth and they stay in their little study and they study all day long and they have these grand notions of Christ, but never take that strength and give it to a lost and dying world. So for each of us, there is a need to take this and spend it. It's a funny thing in the kingdom of heaven, but when you have strength and you don't give it, it's like you lose it. Funny principle, it's like manna. If you don't eat it, it just sort of molds. And the strength that you are given each and every day from Christ is meant to be given. And here's what's weird, is when, it, when you give it, it multiplies. And you actually are getting more the next day. It's like you're actually accessing more because you're proving faithful with little. There is an increase in your life. I think it was the last session we talked about the time of the man, and I think I, I think I called it the time of the hammer, right? And the time of the man is is those there are the moments that are the most difficult in life, and this is when the man is built for. The man is not built to cower when times get tough, but to actually rise up. I have a whole bunch of great stories in my life of being a steadying factor in a time of crisis. It's really interesting, but the Christian is built to be stable and always, which means that they don't fluctuate up and down the same way the world does, but they're steady. They're like a rock. And so as a result, when crisis hits and everyone starts lining up for the, uh, 
the gas pump, you know, to get their, you know, because they don't even know what it must be, but they see a line of cars down the road, and so they start to panic, and then they get in line too. So that's normal human. But the Christian is the one who comes up to all those cars and says, uh, is there anything I can do to help you? Uh, can I pray for you? <laughs> he walks down the, the aisle of cars that are all panicky, needing to get their gas, and maybe even says, here, uh, I have a gallon. Did you want to just take this? In other words, they're built to bring a completely opposite spirit into such a circumstance. And, I mean, it's actually, if, if you want to think about it this way, it's the fun of a Christian. The fun of a Christian is to be the opposite, to be fearless in a time of fear. Because everyone else is stressing out. I mean, they're, they're miserable. But you trust God. Bless you. You have total confidence that if you spend yourself, God will take care of you. And even if you died, I mean, come on. To, to die is gain. So there's just no downside in this. And so all throughout history, like in a time of plague, it's very common for men and women, if they are wealthy, for instance, to go to somewhere else. They have the money, they can leave, but there's a whole other sector, and that's the impoverished, that have no other place to go, they have no money to get there, and they are vulnerable to the plague, more than any other, because of the, uh, the lack of cleanliness and hygiene in the lower, uh, the poverty-stricken districts. And so you could just imagine what that would be like. Do you really want to go to the east end of London in the middle of the bubonic plague? I don't think so. And yet, what does a Christian do? A Christian goes where everyone else is fleeing. They're ready to go right in there. And guess what? That, those East End Londoners who are hardened to the gospel, do not want to hear it, suddenly become very warm to it when a Christian comes in their darkest moment, in their most desperate times, and gives love and life. You see, that's the moment of greatest receptivity, which is why we as Christians recognize it. It's like, our tune, it's the, it's, what, what does Batman get? It's like the, the bat, uh, the bat what, what's that thing? The bat signal. Okay, yeah, it's like our bat signal. It's a terrible illustration. But it's like, and we're like, aha, and we stick on our super suit, and we go, because we are built for such occasions. It's the time of the man when someone must stand, look no further than me. When someone must suffer, here I am, volunteering my body, my blood, when someone must go without, I choose to be the one. When a man is needed, may one be found right here. You see, this is how a man is supposed to think. Now, I'm not saying a woman isn't supposed to think this way, but that's why Paul says, quit ye like men, be strong. It's be like this. Think like this. Think like Christ. That's think like the man. Quit yourself like the man. Be strong. And he says that to the church. So my, my mental picture, I don't know if I've ever shared this with you guys. It seems like it probably would have come out in a men's conference or something like that. But I, I've had these moments where I, I envision a lot of things. I sort of work through a lot of moments in my spiritual life like, okay, how am I going to handle that? How would I handle that? How, what would Christ do in this situation? And sometimes, I mean, you can guess all you want, but every situation is a little unique. And so, but I, I try and exercise a certain dimension of my life in and through just practice. It's like, okay, how would I handle that? What would I do? So I have this situation. It's always in Jason's Deli in my mind. And the reason is, is I was walking by a Jason's Deli when I had the thought, okay? And I was on a walk with Leslie. And, uh, and I remember seeing it at Jason's Deli off to the left over there. And this whole thing played out in my mind. And I was picturing these terrorists coming into Jason's Deli. And I'm just sitting there having my lunch by myself, okay? At some little table. And they shoot their machine guns up into the ceiling, and big chunks of uh, ceiling are falling down, and everyone starts screaming. And everyone instinctively is jumping under the tables. And I'm recognizing that my instinct is the same. Okay, I'm not a screamer. That isn't my normal response to something. But I could imagine that if I sensed bullets were flying, I, was going, I would find cover, okay? I mean, so I'm going through this immediately in my mind, and I'm trying to ascertain what's going on. But the the bad guys, okay, they're going to take hostage uh, a young woman and, uh, and they're going to put a gun to her head. And I know it's a very desperate and dark situation, okay? It's rated PG-13, my, my little imagination here. But maybe even worse, okay, it's, if there's something worse than that because it's, it's a serious situation here. And so they have a hostage and it, it's, I have to make a decision in 
moments, seconds. He's, I'm built for this as a man. This is what I'm telling myself in my practice, okay? He's, Eric, this is your moment. I don't want you to think about your comforts, Eric. I don't want you to think about the hazards that you may face. I want you to be the man. What would the man do in this situation? He wouldn't cower like everyone else, but he would stand up and start walking towards the situation. Go, hey, stay back or I'll shoot. Take me instead. Okay, can't you guys feel that? Take me instead. I mean, who in the right mind would do this? We know exactly who would do this because he did it for us. Take me instead. So if I'm going to model this life that is in me, that wants to express itself in this world, I recognize what I'm built for. I'm built for giving up this life that I have. Even though I have a wife and kids and there's a tendency in me to think and reason and to justify why it should be someone else. And I could ask you, who is that someone else? Who, who do you think is going to get up? It's the ones that are built by Christ that will do this. It's not just your average person. This is, your average person is going to be thinking about themselves in this moment. But who is willing to think about Christ? Who's willing to think about this hostage? And guess what? There's someone else. Because when he takes me and sticks a gun to my head, he's scared. Why? Because I'm fearless. And I'm saying, uh, I just want to ask you a question. Well, don't talk to me. If you were to die right now, do you know where you would go? I don't want to talk about that. Well, I care about you. Could you who, who's going to be thinking about the glory of God in this moment? Who's going to be thinking about that woman and save her? I mean, you don't even know who she is. And who's going to be thinking about a bad guy? See, this is Jesus. We all recognize him. It's like, wait, wait a minute, that's my Savior. Which is why each of us need to be prepared to be a miniature version of this scene in life. Not, we don't need to wait for the extremities. I really desire that scene not to unfold in my life. However, there are little miniature versions of that all the time. The cross, we'll call it the time of the man. Every single one of us is being built to bear a cross, to carry a cross. You know that a lot of Jesus' disciples, or we could call apostles, died on crosses? Isn't that an interesting thought? It wasn't just Jesus that died on a cross. Andrew died on a cross. Peter died on a cross. I mean, that's just an amazing thought. In other words, those that followed Jesus also died on crosses. And so for us to recognize that we are being built to suffer, we're being built to pour out, we're being built to give. In our first condition, we repel this. What is the easiest thing in life that we could do? The lifeguard position, I could have a tan. I didn't wear a watch all growing up, especially through my high school years. You know why? It would ruin my tan. That is literally my reason for why I didn't wear a watch, okay? So can you see the vanity in this man? Now, as if it really matters. That, that one doesn't matter because I could say, well, I, you know, I didn't want to be distracted by time. I wanted to be ruled by the Spirit of God. That wasn't my motive, okay? I was, I was motivated strictly by tan lines. And so all throughout the summer, I'd take off my shirt because I didn't want the farmer tan line. And so, I mean, I, I bristled at anything that would force me to put my shirt on. And it was vanity, vanity, vanity because I wanted to have a look. I wanted to look a certain way to the world. You know what I desire? See, like even when I'm talking right now, there's a certain desire you have. You want, you want to be the one that stands up and walks towards the bad guy. And what's funny is the world would look at you like totally ridiculous, but at the same time, they would stand in awe, just like all of us do, because it's, it's better than no tan lines. There's something about that picture of the, the man who loves so much that he lays down his life that is shocking to the human soul. And when we see it, it shakes us at the deepest levels. You are built to be a carrier of that very earthquake-like love. So the manly exertion of obedience, this is the cross, the deliberate choice to suffer, the purposeful giving up of strength on behalf of the weak. Built for this hour, 
I read this on Wednesday. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. I don't know if I shared this story with you. I had a fatherhood weekend this last weekend, so I may have shared it here. It just feels somewhat fresh. But I remember, I always want moments where I can be heroic. It's, it's, a, it's a man thing. Okay, we, I love it when people ask me for directions. Like, oh, oh, good. All right, well, here's what you do. Uh, and because I feel like I can rescue, I remember rescuing a cat from a garage. <laughs> and this person's looking all over, and I like have the cat, look, oh, thank you. And it's like, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it just feels really good, right? And so this one time, I was sitting outside uh, of a little strip mall area, Harmony Village area here in uh, Fort Collins, waiting for Leslie. She was going in to get some, some stuff. And so I'm just in the car, and these ladies, these three women, are walking, and one of them, right in front, she like, is trying to get over something, and her phone drops right out of her hand, goes into a grate, uh, and straight down. And she's like, and they're looking at all of them, looking, she's like, huh. And this is like my moment, guys. <laughs> this is so much easier than the Jason's Deli thing. I pop out of the car almost instantaneously. I mean, I just dream of these moments. And I come up and, and I said, did you drop it down there? Oh, it is down there. So I pick off the grate, set it on the thing. I'm in my good clothes too. And I jump down into the thing, lift it up, give it to her. And I tell you what, I, I felt like I was going to fly away. <laughs> There is something about that that matches the way a man is designed. And that's what's so interesting is when we live for self, we don't actually discover what we're built for. But when we live in the kingdom of heaven, we actually have a satisfaction that so far surpasses anything this world could ever supply to us. But it is found in selfless expenditure, not in selfish gain. So do we really want to be saved from this hour? This hour of self-sacrifice, this hour of giving? It was for this very hour that we have been built, that we have been constructed by the Holy Spirit. It's for this sacrifice. That's why we came. You see, when those moments come and the bad guy comes in with his machine gun, this is precisely the leading thought. Should I spare myself from this hour? It's going to cause pain to my wife, pain to my children. It's going to create a ripple effect, but it's for this very hour. When Jesus died on that cross, it created a great wave of pain for Mary, for his brothers and sisters, I'm sure, for the disciples, and for those that loved him. A ripple of pain. I mean, could you just imagine what that would be like? And yet it was for this very hour that he came. And the results of it is not just pain. The results of heroic laboring, of selfless giving, the end result is not just pain. It is the glory of God. God will convert that into the most powerful picture maybe this earth has ever seen. Any of us that ever, like for instance, Jim Elliott and his, his buddies uh, in Ecuador, that was Ecuador, right? Uh, when they died, you know that that sponsored such a movement of missions at the time? Because it's strange that someone dying would actually cause others to think, oh, I would like to go die. But there is something about it that when, when we live correctly, it sponsors the idea that there's a greater thing to live for. There's something more to live for. So following the mightiest, let's just look at some throughout history. Job when the widow was in danger, the orphan vulnerable, and the poor in need of a defender, it says he broke the jaws of the evildoer and removed the prey from their teeth. I mean, that's just, that's Job chapter 29. It's so powerful to see that is standing a mod Peretz, standing boldly and forsaking your own life and comfort to help those in need. Moses, when God's judgment rested squarely <clears throat> on the head of all Israel, he stood in the gap. Phineas, who we talked about on Wednesday, when Zimri openly mocked the righteous law. David, when Goliath defied the armies of the living God. Eliezer, when the Philistines sought to take Pazdamin by sword. Joab, when the Jebusites publicly mocked King David. You guys ever heard that story? So Joab, uh, the Jebusites are in the castle of Jebus, which we know as Jerusalem, okay? But 
Uh, so David becomes king and he longs. His eyes turn towards Jerusalem, but it wasn't called Jerusalem. It was the city of Jebus. And he looks longingly at it. I want that city. That's my capital. Of course, that's just God's desire in and through David, right? He wants that city. It's called the holy city. And the Jebusites are hanging out there and they're mocking David over the walls. So, oh, you're so weak. There's no way you can. And so David looks at his men and he says, <clears throat> the first one to wipe that smirk and that mocking face off of the Jebusites will be first among my men. And all it says is Joab was first among his men. <laughs> so uh, I love that statement. <clears throat> when the Jebusites publicly mocked King David, Joab's like already running off ahead. And he's like talking to his men like, where's Joab? Oh, he's got the advantage. He's so upset about that. Joshobium, when 800 Philistines threatened this king's domain, single-handedly took them on. Josiah, when Israel had gone astray and the house of God was defiled. Hezekiah, when the Assyrian king mocked the powers of God to save. Mattathias, who's one of the Maccabees, and I'm not saying that the, uh, the Maccabees are part of the inspired scripture, but it's a great story, guys. Uh, Mattathias, when a fellow Israelite ascended to the altar of sacrifice, a profane, a profane thing upon the pure altar of Jehovah. Mattathias uh, starts out with the Maccabean revolts. He, first of all, says, I will not. He was the priest of that town. They offered him wealth if he would sacrifice a pig on the altar of Jehovah. And he was like, I will not do that. And so someone else got up to do it. That was an Israelite who would get paid to do it. And so he went up and killed the guy. <laughs> and I mean, he's literally standing against uh, the powers of, uh, of Rome. I mean, this is like not a, not a good idea. And uh, so he, it goes into what's called the Maccabean Revolt. I mean, it's a profound story. Uh, Athanasius, who in the 300s uh, AD, uh, when you have the Arian heresy that is reigning through the church at the time, which is undeifying Christ. It's saying he's just, you know, he's, he's not God. He's a created being. Athanasius, uh, when the deity of Jesus Christ was challenged by the church of his day, cries out, Athanasius contra mundum. Athanasius is against the world. He refused to, to back down. It says that he was exiled five times. I'm still not sure how someone is exiled five times. <laughs> Once seems enough, but uh, <clears throat> Wallace, uh, William Wallace, when the English ransacked and raped his homeland, Scotland, defiling it for their pleasure. Luther, when the truth of the gospel was traded out for a lie. And of course, our kingpin example, guys, Jesus. When in our rebellion we claimed ourselves gods and thus invited the wrath of God upon our sorry heads, he to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood. Oh, that's good. <clears throat> the rescue shelter. So I have a funny history uh, with this because if you remember Y2K, which some of you <laughs> are, might be too young to even have been born by then, but uh, Y2K was such a, an interesting thing to walk through because no one knew what was going to happen. I mean, we can cluck our tongues and you know, say, yeah, those people were such idiots. Look what they did. But it was in the middle of winter, because it's going to be the change December 31st to January 1st. No one knew what was going to happen. And so, you know, we have everything from storing some canned uh, baked beans and some extra bottled water to some people <laughs> took it to some really great extremes, okay? But no one knew what was going to happen. The fact that nothing happened, just sort of like egg in the face to everyone. But, uh, but at the time, it was really interesting because I, <clears throat> I remember hearing that Focus on the Family was basically turning their facility. Remember, we're in Colorado, and when you're in the middle of you know, December 31st, January 1st, you have no idea what the weather's going to be like. And so if it is true that the power is going to go out, they were going to convert uh, Focus on the Family into a rescue shelter for anyone in Colorado Springs that needed shelter. And so I was really blessed by that, and I was impressed by that. So I was on a Focus on the Family show, and I mentioned it. And they're looking at me like, what in the world? And uh, so then they had to actually come back to me and say, uh, I think they had to even do a little special ditty to say that what Eric said, we really wish we had done this, but we didn't do that. <laughs> so I made this huge statement about how much I admired that behavior. And I thought it was just the Christian thing to do. I thought it, I was really blessed by it. And they didn't do that, which still to this day, I'm thinking, what in the? Where, how did I hear that? Because, I mean, I'm not an idiot. I heard it. Uh, <laughs> so, 
Uh, I can't explain that. I still have no ability to go back and say, what did I hear? And how would I get that elaborate thought in my head? Did I dream it? And then I go on focus on the family radio and then broadcast it? How ridiculous is that? But the thought, okay, let's, let's say that, okay, maybe they didn't do that, but imagine if they did. <laughs> I almost have to work off of that premise. Imagine that they did. Why was I so impressed with that? Because they're thinking like Christians. That's how a Christian thinks. You know how most people thought during Y2K? I need to take care of myself. I need to take care of my family. If anyone, they, I mean, a lot of people had guns too. If someone tried to ransack their storehouse, I mean, they're gonna kill them because this is our family's storehouse. You didn't prep, you didn't prepare, this is my stuff. Well, guess what? Jesus came to us when none of us were prepared and he opened his storehouse to us. So for us, I mean, I understand the tensions in this. You know, when you get to a Y2K, you have a, a situation where they had plenty of time to prepare. And yet now the day of trial has come, but actually it's that day of trial, that day of lack, which makes your message of the gospel so much more effective. And the fact that you have baked beans to give them and you have a warm environment that you can supply because you have, uh, what do you call those, uh, generators. Boy, I've had a tough uh, time with my vocabulary today. You have generators and they don't. Well, praise God that you can share them. You're seeking someone else's shelter in the day of adversity. And you're not just thinking about yourself. Jesus exposed himself. He took off his clothes, if you want to say it this way, so we could be clothed. He took on our scars, our wounds, so that we could be healed. He did the exchange he gave up comfort so that we could be comforted. This is the model. This is the cross model, the time of the man. It is found in that exact illustration. The brave-hearted soldier fully exposes his life to the harrowing dangers of war, not considering his own skin and how he can save it, but rather how he might spend it for the benefit of others. A man must first be clothed in the divine mantle of covenant, Jesus Christ. Then he is quickened to become a covering of strength, a shield for the weak, a strong refuge for the vulnerable, a provision for the hungry, naked, and oppressed, a father to the fatherless, a defender of the widow, and a covert from the storm. He becomes a very real rescue shelter in a time of crisis. So just as a finishing touch to this, I remember we had... Uh, a tornado that whipped through uh, Windsor, I don't know what that was, 11, 12 years ago, but big deal. And I remember before it happened, I was convinced that there couldn't be a tornado because uh, I didn't hear a siren going off and we don't get tornadoes in Windsor. I mean, just simply put, which is why the town of Windsor the year before had sold our siren because we just don't get uh, tornadoes. So there's no siren. So, I mean, hey, I'm not hearing a siren. So Leslie came and says, this guy is convinced. I'm in the coffee shop, Ludel's coffee shop, my brother's coffee shop, and my family's in town. And so Leslie was in the other room with the family. I'm trying to get some work done, I guess, uh, during, during the day. And so she comes into another room where I, this guy is convinced that there's a tornado headed straight for us. And my first state was, no, uh, no, no. Don't, don't worry about it. There's just not going to be a tornado. First of all, I don't hear anything. And second of all, we just don't get tornadoes as close to the mountains. And so then a few minutes, well, I think it started hailing outside. So I got up and I walked out there and I was like, this is odd. The hail was getting close to baseball size. And we're watching through the windows of, which is or all glass, like a whole wall of glass. We're watching all the cars, which are our cars out there. And the windshields are totally shattering. I mean, we're watching this. This is like, okay, I don't know what that guy saw, but maybe I should know more about it. <laughs> and sure enough, it's like very clear uh, that there is a tornado and it's headed straight for that exact building. There's no basement in the building, right? And so I remember this is like the moment you dream of if you're a man. I know this is, that sounds strange, but it's a moment you dream of if you're a man. There's a whole school, like a class of, I don't know, they're kindergartners that were visiting Ludels that day. And so they're there. Uh, and so I'm like, okay, we need a, is there an inner area of this building? Yes, well, the bathroom area, probably the hall of the bathroom. Okay, 
let's all get into the hall of the bath, uh, the hallway where the bathrooms are. So we, it's not the dream situation for protection, but we're in there, and you know, so there's all sorts of people just stuffed in the bathrooms too. I mean, we're just like trying to get away from the windows because it's all glass. I mean, the whole thing on the outside, and all these little kindergartners are crying. I mean, this is like as scary as as all get out, and. Uh, so, like I said, this is like the dream situation right here. Everyone's fearful, and I'm confident. It's not going to hit us, guys. So I said, guys, I'm a pastor, and here's what I want. Do you mind if I tell you some things uh, right now that could probably bring some comfort to you? And so everyone's, all the teachers are even like, huh, huh, huh. <laughs> it's, it's so interesting because in a time of crisis, people open up to hope people open up to truth, they can close off all they want in, when they're all satisfied and taken care of, but when there's a vulnerability, this is the time of the man. And I you know, shared truth with them and I prayed for them. And there was, I remember one of these ladies, one of the teachers came up to me, I don't know, years later, said, you're the guy. <laughs> they still remember it. They still remember the significant impact that that had in that time. I was completely confident that tornado was not going to hit that building. Completely confident. No, it's not going to hit us. It hit down the road, but, and it didn't hit us, but the point being, I was at rest and at peace and able to be sound of mind in a very unique situation. And here's, the, the reason I'm saying that is it was delightful. It was an avenue for the gospel that was served up on a platter. And for each of us, we desire such moments, but then when they come, we oftentimes are so concerned about ourselves and where to hide and how to shield ourselves that we miss the moment, just like in Jason's Deli. Is if we're not ready for those moments, looking for those moments, we oftentimes go into self-mode and self-preservation instead of God-mode, God-givenness. Father, I just ask that you would make us rescue shelters, that you would give us opportunities to see need around us, to be available and to expend our lives. Lord, you have given us one shot at this thing, and I pray that we would spend this one life that we have well. Thank you for the strength that you've imparted to us. May you receive the glory, honor, and praise. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily weekdays at 8.15 a.m. and weekends at 9.15 a.m. Join us at live.ellersley.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellersley.com. Thanks for listening.